Welcome back, Compass Bible Church, to an episode, a new episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. This is Pastor Evan, and I'm joined with Pastor Hayden. Hey! And here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training others to serve Christ in everything that we do here at Compass. I almost said Camp Compass. At Compass Bible Church. That is the whole year away. Hey, Camp Compass just wrapped up. Including Camp Compass is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, Pastor Hayden, you just preached a sermon uh, out of the book of Jonah. We just started a new book of the Bible, Jonah, called the sermon's title was called Summer at Sea, Running from God. And before I read the text, Pastor Hayden, why Jonah? Jonah is, uh, in, in a few words, uh, relevant in the sense that people know about Jonah. They know that the big fish swallowed Jonah. They know uh, some of the extraordinary things that happened in the book of Jonah. And since we're in the summer and we were looking for a shorter uh, text to go over that we could do for the summer, we thought that Jonah would be great because it'll, it engages people Uh, But it also allows us to see how God has worked, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, to bring people to himself, to bring people to repentance, uh, and how God uses even, uh, you know, uh, prophets like Jonah, who don't listen very well, to to do his will. And I think it's all over, all the themes of Jonah, all of God's sovereignty in play is is a really good place for us to be in the history of our church, and that's why we picked uh, the book of Jonah. Well, let me read to you the passage you preached out of, verses 1 through 4, right now. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he... So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Well, Pastor Hayden, your main point of your sermon was that God desires to use his chosen people to reach lost souls and may even cause calamity to restore those who abscond from that mission. And your three points were that we need to understand that God has a redemptive plan. And then secondly, to utilize the Oh, to utilize the Bible as your compass. See, that's last week's Ooh, news that right there. that was last week. So it's okay. point number two. I have it. I have it. Don't worry. Okay. Point number two there is don't go. run away from God's word. And point number three, expect God's divine intervention. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, uh, as I was taking notes in, in your sermon, I just want to kind of go through each point to see, to be able to ask maybe a couple questions that I yeah. have, um, just kind of breaking down, diving deeper into the text. So, under point number one, for us to understand that God has a plan, he really focused on us not being myopic. Mm-hmm. And that's a great word. And But for those who don't know, what does myopic mean generally? And then how are we not supposed to add? And then what are we supposed to be instead? 
Myopic is just the idea of being nearsighted or only being able to look at what is really close to you instead of uh, looking at the whole picture. And one of the problems with uh, a lot of the Christianity that we interact with is that it's such a myopic Christianity that it's a very isocentric. It's about me. It's about what I can see. It's about what, what's around me. And, and we don't think enough about God's uh, redemptive plan for the world, that God does have a, a people like uh, Nineveh. And uh, Jonah wasn't even around Nineveh. And uh, his myopic view of here's where I'm at and I, you know, here's what I want to do, here's what I don't want to do, when God had an entire plan for uh, a people that he couldn't even see. Um, but I can imagine, I, I'm extrapolating a bit, but if, if uh, Jonah was at Nineveh, he might have had a different attitude as he actually got to know people and started talking and engaging with people. Uh, they may, may be a, a sinful, deplorable people, uh, but he could have seen what God had seen the whole time, and that was a pity for them and a desire to see them saved. So for us, it's just being not being myopic means that we're going to go out and we're going to look at God's big plan for the world. And God's big plan for the world is to see lost people saved and to see saved people discipled. And that's what we're here to do. And to have myopic faith uh, makes it really almost impossible for us to actually do the will of God. Well, to add gravity to the situation, to have you know, get ourselves in, in Jonah's sandals a little bit, there's a reason why he had such hesitancy, or even, as you brought up, hatred for the Assyrians, the for Nineveh is because of their actions. I mean, 40 years later, the northern tribe of Israel would be conquered by these people, but this wasn't just a common people that was just, you know, conquering that was normal, it wasn't good. But the Assyrians were known for their brutality. What was some of the brutality that you brought up and just to help us understand of, you know, God was showing pity on these people who were like, what? In yeah, terms of their I mean, conquering? when they conquered people, they didn't just conquer countries and peoples and nations. They conquered them in a way that was uh, very vile. Uh, they would tear the limbs off of uh, their captives, and they would rip the lips off of their captives, even as they're alive. And they would fillet people uh, as they're living and breathing, doing all these very violent things. I even read one commentary that says that they made it a goal to, to, to build the, the largest pile of skulls they could when they plundered cities. And so that's just the kind of disposition that these, these uh, ruthless people had uh, to other people that they conquered. And if we're so short-sighted, we're going to be like, wow, how horrible these people are. But God wants us to feel his compassionate part to have pity for them. Yeah, something that we can say as well, you know, we can be what uh, what is C.S. Lewis would say, uh, chronological snobs, right? Because they're old, because look, back in the day they used to do these really, really bad things. And, you know, we can we can look at that and say those are bad, bad people. You can, you can say that, but what you have to realize is God still loved those people. And you can say, well, people in these days don't live that, that way. We don't conquer nations. And you're like, for the most part, you're correct. I mean, anybody could go in and we can show you how you're wrong and, and talk about places that still do these things. But you would be right to suggest that most of our society doesn't live this way. But what you have to come to the grips with is the fact that God still desired to see these people repent and these are probably some of the worst people you can imagine, and God still wants them to repent. So there's no one outside of the redemptive purview of God. And so you have to make sure you remember that as we're living our lives, that there's no one too bad out there for the grace of God. And so let me try to read you right now. What you're saying is when we look at people that in our culture today, when we might see people maybe on the different political side of the aisle per se, or believing such gruesome 
things and, and loving themselves in such a vile way for us. We need to pity them because they don't know their left from their right. And we should desire them to be made right by God and have a new heart and to be saved and not to instead just be angry and leave, but to say, no, yeah, their sin is evil, but I need to show pity on this person and share the gospel with them. Sure. Yeah, this is exactly what I was saying. Yeah. So which leads to point number two is that here's our mission. Our mission from God is to make disciples and to to share the, the gospel with these people. Jonah had a mission. Um, and your point number two was to not run away from God's word. Um, I had a couple of questions on top of my head. I just want to make sure you ask the right one for the sake of time. Why he broke down Jonah's theology and how he was trying to run away for a purpose. We were maybe trying to think, oh, he might be running away to make sure God's plan doesn't work out. But like, no, that's not the case. Jonah's trying to run away for uh, what reason? Jonah knew that God was gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster, Jonah 4.2. And so he wasn't running away from God because he thought that he could thwart God's plan to uh, preach judgment and hopefully uh, uh, the, the word I was using earlier today is uh, what, what was the word deliverance uh, it, it was not that he was trying to thwart that plan he was just hoping that God would not use him to do it that's why he ran and so in in one sense he has a better theological framework than than we do because we we don't just assume that God's going to be so sovereign to, to fulfill all of his plans that he sets his mind to. That's what Job says, isn't it? That, that you whatever he sets his mind to, he's going to do that. Uh, we often don't even be- believe in a big enough God for that to happen. But where Jonah's theology was lacking was that not only did God desire sovereignty, uh, to use his sovereignty, to exercise his sovereignty in the life of Nineveh, but he desired to use that exact, exact same sovereignty in the life of Jonah himself. And that is uh, a place that we often fail, is like I said in, I think, the 11 o'clock sermon, is like we believe that God's going to do a great work in general, but we often don't believe that God's going to do a great work specifically, and that specifically is in our own personal lives. It's like you want God to do all the, all the blessings in your life, but you don't want God to actually conform you and to chip away at your life and uh, sanctify you, and you don't believe that God's going to intervene to make that happen. Uh, and just like Jonah jumped on a boat to flee from the presence of God, that hopefully God would use someone else, we uh, jump on boats going in completely different directions uh, then God's word tells us to, and we just don't expect that God's going to to do anything about it. And that's a complete wrong perspective to have. We need to have the, the perspective that God's going to work in peoples and nations, but God is also going to work in my own life to conform me to his image. Which leads to right number uh, point number three, expect God's divine intervention. And this part of the sermon towards the later part of this point, you kind of brought say this is going to be kind of an intense truth. But the fact is that God brought the storm in Jonah's life, and it was good. He mm-hmm. brought calamity, and it was good. And for us, it's a good thing that he brings trials and tribulations, especially when we're off course. And you gave a formula, if you want to break that down for us, a formula to know, okay, there's something, there's a calamity in my life. Is it because I'm disobeying God's will, especially specifically evangelizing and sharing the gospel and discipling people. Right. I came up with that on the fly, so I'm trying to remember exactly what I said. I, I, the A plus B equals C thing 
uh, is for us to understand not every single bad thing that happens, right, we, that we should chalk up to God's divine intervention and that God's trying to say something through, you know, getting stung by that wasp, right? But what we can do is when we have to look and ask ourselves, is God divinely intervening in my life to get me back on track? You need to ask yourself this. Number one, does God's word saying something that I am disobeying and I know it to be true that God has asked me to do something and I'm not doing it, uh, whether that's uh, making disciples, whether that's living in your marriage in a way that honors and glorifies God. I mean, husbands, are you loving your wives like Christ loved the church? Wives, are you submitting to your husbands as to the Lord for this is pleasing to the Lord, right? Uh, right. If you're not, if you're disobeying direct things from God, and then plus there is calamity in your life, right? A and B, right? A is you've disobeyed God's direct word. B, then you see calamity in your life. Uh, you can assert equals C, right? A plus B equals C. That C is that God's trying to get your attention, right? That God is using uh, divine intervention to get a hold of you, to get you focused back on exactly what he uh, was wanting from you. And all you got to do biblically is just look at Jonah 1, 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to Nineveh and call out against it. Their evil has come up before me. A, God's word said to do something specifically. B, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. B, A, God's word said this. B, Jonah did opposite equals C, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was threatened to break up. C. So you go backwards. God allowed a calamity to happen because Jonah didn't listen to him, his word that he said. So there's your, there's your, uh, what is that equation? Your little formula. A little formula. Formula. Well, is there any last thoughts before we shift gears into the application questions? Any last uh, comments on the, the sovereignty of God? That's going to be a big question as we dive into our life groups this week. Uh, we might have, the, uh, I knew that there's questions I knew that would probably pop up in my mind at the 9 a.m. service. Any, any last points on the sovereignty of God, specifically in Jonah's life? We need to trust that God is trying now, I shouldn't say trying. Trying is such a weak word. That God is working in us to will for his good pleasure. That's God's complete sovereignty over our lives. And so what I'm saying is if you're not yielded to that, you should expect a lot of God's sovereignty to be poured out in your life in way of storms and trials and uncomfortableness and, dare I say, anxiety. Uh, dare I say, the emotions that are, are, are just completely out of whack because you're not living in concert with the God of the universe that created you and all the molecules and all of the be- parts of your being. And that is God's sovereignty at play. And we should respond to it by stopping, dropping, and turning. Right? Not, not rolling. I didn't say that at the 11. I only said that at the 9. So stop drop and turn right stop where you're at don't go any further drop to your knees pray to god and turn from that and start following god all right and uh, for the application questions pastor hayden what should we expect and what should we do with these application questions this week as we prepare for our life groups what i want you to do is i uh I want you to answer this question especially like question number one how does grasping that god has a particular plan in view, change the way you consider each decision you make. We, I harped in the sermon on this idea of general plan and particular plan. God's a particular God. God didn't just say, well, I want to generally make things this way. He's like, I want to specifically do things. When he saved you, he saved you specifically. 
And God desires to save people specifically, and he desires to use you specifically in a particular way. And so I want you to answer that question in light of how you can change specifically and particularly decisions that you make throughout the week uh, to allow God's particular plan um, of salvation uh, in your life to use it to uh, make make disciples. I mean, that, that's just a simple one in question number one. But uh, the last one I want you to look at, to ask the question, what changes in your life when you accept that God is divinely intervening in your life to accomplish his plan? I mean, that idea that God will divinely intervene to accomplish his plan, not yours. So what changes in your life when you're trying to accomplish your plan and God intervenes? How, what changes? Like, what changes can you make to make sure that you are allowing God to intervene when he desires to get you back on track? And then how can you keep those things from happening uh, in the future by following God before you have to have God's divine intervention. All right. Thank you, Pastor Hayden. Uh, there's a resource that we actually shared with uh, the life group leaders. What is that resource and why it would be beneficial for us to comprehend the one that J.I. Packer wrote? Yeah. Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God is a, book, a good volume for you to add to your library. Uh, it's just exactly that, right? Uh, God's sovereign, right? God's sovereign, but we still have to evangelize. That God calls and elects people to salvation, but yet man has a responsibility to both share it and man has a responsibility to be accountable to God's uh, God's justice. And so that book does a really good job of talking about uh, God's choice and our responsibility in that. And part of that responsibility is that God's people are obeying God's call to go and make disciples and go and share the gospel. Go be ambassadors. Well, all right, Compass, let's make sure that we are not the ones that say, Okay, God's going to save, and let it be someone else, and let us be the tools and instruments to be used by God for His glory. And that's the point, right? Exactly what you're saying is that some of us who have that mindset, just like Jonah did, that's when these kind of calamities come into your life. And that's when you have to specifically realize, man, those things are happening because of my wrong understanding about how God works. Correct that understanding. And it's not only, well, God could use me. It's saying God will use you, and when you're choosing not to be used by God, God's still going to use you. <laughs> that's the God's sovereignty right there. And so anyway, that's a good way to end that, I think, as we jump into our DBR spotlight. That's right. Well, we are continuing in the book of Psalms, Compass Bible Church, in our daily Bible reading. We are specifically going to be reading Psalm 22 to chapter 40 and almost chapter 41. And this is actually, we will be completing the very first book of the book of Psalms. As a reminder, there are five different books of the book of Psalms as they organize the different Psalms. And as a reminder that the word Psalm is actually Greek for the Hebrew word um, Tehillim, which means praises. And so this is just a book of praises to God. And yeah, it's the longest book of the Bible, but you can see it more as Israel's or even our hymnal for us to sing God's praises. Just as a fresh reminder from last uh, last week last week's podcast, is that there are several different authors, several different main characters of the this book of Psalms. You have David, Asaph, and Solomon, Moses, and several that are not. And Ethan, and Ethan, Ethan the Ezraite. <laughs> Ethan, I got Do you know what psalm it is? I don't. That's you can okay. look it up. I'm about to look it up. But as a reminder, we were wrapping up the first book of five, and at the very end of our daily Bible reading in book number one is going to be, there's going to be a doxology in uh, Psalm 41, verse 13. And 
this is a helpful reminder for the next few weeks, is that this book is supposed to help you and I to help us properly worship God and to help us have a deeper devotion to God. And in the best of times, in the worst of times, as the uh, Charles Dickens would say, so in the worst parts of our lives or the best part of parts of our lives, this book will help us to have a, a deeper relationship and a deeper devotion to God. Were able to find the psalm yet? Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Write that one down. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you, <laughs> Ethan. All right. Well, as we are reading Psalm 22 to verse, uh, verse 21, uh, Psalm 22 to chapter 41, uh, if you look at these 19 psalms, you're going to see the, the themes that we mentioned last week in trusting God, praising God always, rejoicing in God, and, how, and just mentioning how God's unfailing, steadfast love is true. Of the 19 psalms, here's the interesting fact. At least 17 of those psalms, or the psalm, the author is crying out to God out of a place of distress. And so it's a very helpful book for to give us different praises and songs of God to say, here I feel I'm surrounded by my enemies. I feel beaten down, but God's unfailing love is true. I'm going to praise God despite me being on the run, me feeling I'm surrounded. I'm about to die. I'm going to still trust in God. So use this 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 time and these next several weeks in the book of Psalms to really bolster your faith. No matter where you're at, or even if you're in a good season of life, things seem to be going well, write down, bookmark some, some of these Psalms for later. So when you do face a hard time or a trial or a calamity, you're able to turn back to God's word and his truth to point us back to him. And that's the beauty of the book of Psalms is here's someone who faces something hard and does the right thing by turning back to God. There's a lot of suffering in this world. And what we our counsel is to turn back to God to use the Psalms as your, your example. Psalms is a great part of the book. And so are a, a lot of the poetry, right? Even like Job, right, uh, are, are great examples of exactly why we can trust the Bible because the Bible doesn't try to cover up evil. It doesn't try to cover up calamity or despair or trouble. It, it it actually highlights them and the proper response for the Christian in light of them. I mean, that right there is a great proof of the truth and validity of Scripture, that it teaches us how to worship God even when things are going bad. That's the usefulness of a lot of the Psalms that you should be... You, and when you're going through the worst times of your life, you need to be getting into the Psalms. They're going to provide comfort for you like you've never had because those are people who are going through that exact situation and God has canonized it in scripture for us to have as his very words to us in the midst of trouble. And go slow. If you have a study Bible or a commentary or a, or a Bible that has cross-references, slow down at each psalm to see if there's any cross-references because a lot of the times, especially when David's writing it, it's about an event that we read about. So slow down. I would say stop Go read that event and then read the psalm because sometimes we can look at these psalms and go, this is too wishy-washy. This is this is too good to be true. I, this this person doesn't know how I'm suffering. In the opposite, they know exactly how you're feeling in, in your suffering. And so use these, as Pastor Hayden just mentioned, to help counsel you back to the truth of God. And actually helpful exercise for us is be praying through the Psalms. And there's a great, there's another great book that you need to have on your bookshelf called Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. This small book is going to be so... Don Whitney. If hey, you know, that was, that that was, was really that good. Was good. If you know that, you know. Yeah, if you know, you know. <laughs> but 
This little book is going to help your prayer life. If you feel, it's like almost an infomercial in chapter one. Like, do you feel like your prayer life is dry and boring and you keep <laughs> praying the same thing over and over? I'm like, yeah. Read, pray through the Psalms. So this is a great book that's going to help you pray better. And so what you can do is write down a prayer list. Write down the names of the people in your life group, your family, your neighbors, uh, the strangers you meet, the people you're witnessing to, the people that you've met. And as you're reading through the Psalms, pick one, reread it, and read it slowly and pray through it. So if it's like the Lord is my shepherd, it's like, hey, Lord, let Pastor Hayden remember that you are his shepherd. Let him find peace this week as he's preparing the sermon, as he might get stressed and the time might slip away. Help him to turn to you as the great shepherd. See how easy it was to be able to pray for my friend, my pastor, to be able to say, hey, God, you are his shepherd. Let him remember that. Let him take comfort in that. So praying the Bible is going to be a very helpful book to have. And one last thing, as we're reading the daily Bible reading, uh, just know that a lot of the Psalms are messianic. They're pointing towards... What is a messianic? Messianic means they're pointing towards the savior of the world, the one that is going to crush the head of the serpent, promised back in Genesis chapter 3. But here are the three Psalms that you need to note as you're reading. Psalm 22, this is talking about the suffering of the Messiah King. This is the uh, psalm that Jesus quotes on the cross in Matthew 27, 46. It's like, why, O oh God, have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. You have Psalm 23. The Lord is the Messiah's shepherd. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10, uh, verse 11, this is impactful because David says, Lord, you are the shepherd. And Jesus is saying, I am the shepherd. And then Psalm 40, uh, it's a body being prepared for death. This is one that if you want to bookmark Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, the author of Hebrews uses Psalm 40 to explain that Jesus is the final sacrifice and he is the one that is to do God's will fully, as we read in uh, Luke 22 with uh, Jesus in the garden saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. And so that's Psalm 40 for you. And so a helpful resource for that is uh, the Moody Handbook for Messianic Prophecy. The Moody Handbook for Messianic Prophecy. Well, Compass, this wraps up our daily Bible reading portion. Pastor Hayden, we have several announcements. Uh, first being is that the kids' camps are done. Done. But the adventure continues. So uh, parents of <laughs> three-year-old to good. fifth graders, Adventure Club, our midweek for kids, our Awana-like program, begins August 24th, but registrations are already open. So yeah. go ahead and register your campers online at compasshillcountry.org slash kids. And you'll want to register them soon because as our church is growing, the spots are going to fill up. And it's not that we have a, uh, a limit to the amount of kiddos that we're going to sign up, but we do actually have a finite amount of space. And so uh, with our church growing the way that it is, it's best to register your kids for the fall as soon as possible uh, so that you can make sure you secure the spot for your child for Adventure Club in the fall session. And if you have any questions, especially regarding the satchels and booklets, please reach out to me at evan at compasshillcountry.org. Well, Pastor Hayden, we, there is one more summer camp called Revival happening when? That's right. Revival's happening July 22nd through the 24th. We literally just got out of our parent uh, student meeting today, just a few minutes ago. Does that mean it's too late to sign up? It does not mean it's too late to sign up, but it does mean that there are some forms you need to fill out that we need to get back from you before your child for your student can be involved with revival so go online register and once you've registered we'll get your information and we'll be able to send out all the info that you would need to register your student so there is still time make sure you register before friday the 22nd 
All right. Well, parents, this is the time of the summer where those commercials start begin to say back to school stuff that mm. always depressed me. Mm. But there's something that's exciting and not that's depressing. Right. What is that exciting thing happening? On August 21st, we are celebrating uh, the fall semester. We're celebrating all that God's done this summer and all that we're expecting God to do this fall through a back to school bash. And what that is for us is just an opportunity for us to invite people to church. Maybe people uh, who are new to the community who haven't found a home church, or maybe uh, those people who uh, haven't been going to church this summer. This would be a great opportunity to get them coming back to church. Uh, And it's an opportunity for us to put some concerted effort as a church into getting people plugged into God's church. And we're going to have two great services. And then after that, after the 11 o'clock service, we're having a big celebration after service. What's going to be there? We're going to have food trucks. We're going to have games. We're going to have bounce houses and slides for the kids. We're going to have a petting zoo. And it's going to be great. We're going to be petting lots of zoo animals. I bet you're going to be over There's, there giving fun facts to the I, kids. I'll be talking to him about lots of different things about animals. He likes animals. I like animals. Uh, we're going to have lots of other things that we have yet to release, but really, really great opportunity for you to uh, put that on your calendar and look forward to uh, joining us for the Back to School Bash. All right, Compass, we're so grateful for you, so grateful for this weekend to worship with you guys, to fellowship, and to be spurring each other on to love and good work. So until the next time, let's be reaching, teaching, and training all for the glory of God.